It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of a ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad, your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand. That though the wicked spring up like grass and, evil, and all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will, stir, they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Proclaim the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. This reading is from Psalms 92, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. You may be seated. The heading of this psalm says, A Song for the Sabbath. So let me give you a Sabbath greeting in Hebrew. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. That means may have a Sabbath of peace. You may wonder what is the relevance of the Sabbath for Christians. The Sabbath is very much a part of the Old Testament. And yet in the Old Testament, such as in this particular psalm, there is an anticipation that the Sabbath is going to be longer and longer and longer rather than shorter. The Sabbath gives us oxygen for our soul. We are so rushed all the time, and the Sabbath is a time where we can do things more slowly, where we are able to spend more time with people, where we likewise spend more time with God. Notice the very beginning of this song. It is an exhortation to praise the Lord. He says in verse 1, it's good to give thanks to God, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made my, me glad by your work, and at the work of your hands I sing for joy. Now, what we have here is the psalmist is looking at God and the world he has made. He sees everywhere the evidence of the presence of God, and he's filled with joy. Pick that up, because later on we'll speak about lament. When we are familiar with lament, there is a longing for us to be finished with the questions and to see God more clearly. So in verse 5 then he says, How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. 
notice there is a concern with our relationship with God. It's not how we feel or how other people may feel about us, but rather it is looking at the work of God, being filled in with a sense of thankfulness and gratitude, a sense in which then we are able to see more deeply into the world, even in the crisis that we have right now in the Middle East. What is God doing? So the person who is thankful is a person who is observant, who is aware of the world in which he is living, and he's concerned to see that this world reflects the glory of the Lord. Now, immediately hereafter, there is a saying with regard to the fool. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish. They are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. In other words, he is observant. He sees people who are foolish, and they continue to bungle things and make problems here and there. But his focus is on the thankfulness that God is God and that he will bring things about according to his will. This is particularly important when you take a look at Psalm 89 that also begins with praise. But then the psalmist moves to lament. This psalm, Psalm 92, leads us to look as to the great plan of God in the world when we make, don't make sense of the world. So would you take a look at Psalm 89 where we come here to the end of the third book of Psalms. The third book of Psalms takes us from Psalms 73 to 89. And I want you to see that Psalm 89, though it closes book three, it at the same time opens book four. Because there are certain themes that you find in Psalm 89 that are continued in Psalm 90. Psalm 89 verse 1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands forever and that you are established, your faithfulness in heaven itself. Praise. Now, get the picture. The praise of God is particularly relevant for the Sabbath. But we are looking for not just the Sabbath day, we're looking also for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that every day of the week we experience joy. That we experience a sense of observing what God is doing and we are able to grow in the midst of humanity, foolish and wise. So Psalm 89 then speaks about the glory of God. He has established David to be his ruler and that humanity will benefit from the rule of God through David. But there's a national catastrophe. Psalm 89 goes from this beautiful picture of God with his faithfulness, his love, his care, his goodness, and all of a sudden dumps us down into the valley of despair. This is then a national despair. Very much like what we have experienced with the COVID-19. 
people are wondering, what is the future like? And so as he then speaks about God's goodness, notice what he says in verse 6. Who is a God like you among the heavenly beings? In the council of the Holy One, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like the Lord Almighty? Worship. Who is like the Lord? And there's a great joy that he has. Namely, he has a relationship with God. God has promised to take care of his people through David. His righteousness, his faithfulness is very clearly there. So notice as to what God says in verse 20. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. And God commits himself to David in verse 24. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. So God's kingdom is here. David is king. Everything is going well. You might say the kingdom of God is established in David. God makes it even clear in verse 34 that his commitment to David is forever. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went from my lips. He continues. Verse 35. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Great. Praise God because he has established his kingdom and likewise David to be his ruler. But now turn to verse 38. And all of a sudden you are going down into the dumps. There is a national catastrophe. Verse 38. Now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled the crown in the dust. And so it continues. Who is God? Is he faithful? Does he keep his word? And of course, we would immediately say, of course he's faithful. But is it possible that we are thrown into catastrophes where we do not know the answer? Where we are asking the question, as is found many times in the Old Testament, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? You've promised your presence and experienced then alienation. Is God true to his word? That is the question. And you end then book three on this note. Where is God? Look, for example, at the question in verse 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will you wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. Does God know what he is doing? That is the question that is being raised in this psalm. The nation is crying out for God. This particular psalm reflects on the destruction of Jerusalem in 586. On the end of the priesthood in 586. The Davidic dynasty has gone into captivity. This is the lowest moment in the Old Testament 
where we then are asking the question, God, where are you? We are looking for you. And there's no answer at the end of book three. We are left with this kind of sense of depression. Let me read the last verse of Psalm 89. Remember, O Lord, that is verse 50. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, how I bear in my heart the insults of all the nations with which your enemies mock you, O Lord, with which you which they mock the footsteps of your anointed one. That is the end. Is God faithful? And what we have to do is to turn to Psalm 90 and see that Psalm 90, the beginning of book four, is wrestling with this topic. Verse one. Lord, you have been our dwelling place Pay attention to that expression. In all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. God is the God of people, and he then is providing for his people a dwelling place so that they can dwell closely with him and he can dwell with them. But watch again what is happening here. God is God from everlasting to everlasting. But what about people? Watch verse 3. You turn, return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years of your, in your sight are but yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass. What is mankind? Now, we know that we are created in the image of God. We know that God cares for his people. So the bottom line is God is good. He's always good. But I don't understand him. This is the challenge of reading the Psalms. To get to know who God is. Not just to assume, but rather to see God's work. Psalm 92 has said, you are plans, your thoughts, are marvelous. What does it mean for God's plans to be marvelous? That we stand in awe of him and ask him, Father in heaven, have pity on your people. Show compassion upon your people. In other words, all too many times we are thinking about what we can get out of God. But what the psalmists are doing is not so much to get out of God, but they want to know God to see him, to be able to, as it were, experience his presence. But wherever the presence is, there is also the absence. Where we then, on the one hand, can enjoy the heat of the sun, as it were, and at the same time experience the cooling nature when the sun is covered up. The Christian who then wants to know God is the person who is able to sense when there's something wrong in that relationship. Just like we have our relationship with people, we can sense the coolness. The psalmist is asking questions because he wants to see the face of God. He wants to seek God. He wants to find refuge in God. And so I just want to encourage you, as we begin then with this 
escapade that everything will work out well. But just let the text lead you. So we have lament in Psalm 89. We have lament in Psalm 90. Where then is the answer? Let's take a look at Psalm 90. In verse 7, we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And he continues to speak about the wrath of God. But now there is a development. First, uh, yeah, 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What happens in the pressure of the absence of God and the presence of God? A search for wisdom, a search for answers, a search for the reality of God. And this is then the challenge of Christians, not just to talk about the presence of God, but also to be honest by saying, these days I feel the absence of God and I'm seeking him. Our Lord Jesus Christ went through this experience. Psalm 22 speaks then about the suffering of David, which is also the suffering of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I would dare say that in this audience, there are people who are paining, who are with anguish, who do not understand the way of God, who have questions. Let them have their time of God so that we don't immediately say, everything will work out. Many times they don't work out. People do die. People suffer. People succumb to the difficult circumstances. Let me just illustrate it from my family. About half a year ago, my oldest grandson committed suicide. He did not really know what he was doing, but one way or another he caught on drugs. And rather than eat, drink, take care of his body, he isolated himself and was found more than likely about a couple of months after he died. Just gone. There are many young people that are crying out, likewise, for meaning, significance. You and I have wonderful opportunities to see young people, but also to see people who are dealing with difficult situations. It might be that they are not able to make a living. It may be that their relationships with their children or family is bad. I encourage us to be a witness to the glory of Jesus Christ and to the joy of Jesus Christ, but also be a witness to the pain of humanity, that human beings are in pain. They are crying out, are we open to them? Or do we very quickly say, everything is going to work out? The psalmist begins with praise, goes down into the valley. Moses, in Psalm 90, continues going down into the valley. But Moses now lifts us up and he says, you know what you are now gaining? Wisdom. 
Wisdom comes always out of the pressure of life, where we are coming to the end of answers. We come to the end of the easy answers, and we are willing now to listen. Listen to our own hearts, listen to people, and the church of Jesus Christ, my friends, is going to be transformed when we are able to likewise have a place for lament. And I'm not talking about a theatrical place for lament, but when somebody is asking you, how are you doing? What do they expect? Fine. What about sometimes saying, not too well today? You'll notice as to how many people will ignore that answer. I'm glad you're doing well. <laughs> what about lament? I can see Jesus Christ. When he looks out at the crowds, he was filled with compassion. Not just saying that he is the way and he is the resurrection. He is life. But rather that we see that he is also the one who can sit with people such as the woman of Samaria. He can deal with issues. Jesus is all the time open to the experiences of man. Watch this. What was the accusation that the Jews had against Jesus, among others? He heals on the Sabbath. But wait, what is wrong with healing on the Sabbath? The Sabbath should be a time of shalom, where we restore people, where we restore relationships. Christ was all the time ready, and he knew the answer. The Pharisees and the Sadducees said, he is wrong. But Isaiah has said, don't just celebrate the festivals without relieving people. In other words, ever before we celebrate, we should think in terms of the pain of people. How can we see there's reconciliation taking place? I can just well imagine the Lord Jesus Christ walking and seeing the people who were nice and were able to be nicely dressed, but he saw the hearts of the people and he saw the pain. It's good to give thanks to the Lord because his plans are deep. His thoughts are deep. Are we also deep? Are we able to penetrate the difficulties that human beings experience? Our Lord did. And the psalmist now says, back to Psalm 92, watch what is being said here. Verse 6, verse 92 for 6. The stupid man, the foolish person, cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they're doomed to destruction forever. In other words, this happy side of life is really a place where there's a lot of pain and we have to see that if people don't pay attention, they are doomed forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord. For behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. Now watch this. The fool is the one who does not pay attention to the things that are in society. This person comes to an end. What we 
now have in verses 11 and 12 that this person, the godly, is seeing beyond the noise that people make. He says in verse 11, My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. How many of us live with pain because of people? We live with anger because of people. Catch the vision of these verses. God will take care of the fool. He will take care of the wicked. That is the promise. There's ultimate justice with God. The whole of the Psalter says, God knows and he cares. When you read the Psalms, you get comfort from the psalmists who are crying out for comfort. There is a sense where you are able to join people over thousands of years as they have read the Psalms. And you can say, this is good medicine. So, verse 1, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because God's plan will stand, will not be uprooted by the evil people, but rather God's purposes will stand. That is for sure. But there's another thing that happens. Watch what it says in verses 12 and following. The righteous will flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. So what we have here is a sense of healing. Namely that on the one hand, the wicked will perish. Did you notice what it says? My eyes have seen it. My ears have heard it. In other words, the victory is close by. And now, likewise in our lifetime, the victory is closer now than at the time of Jesus. God will establish his kingdom. He will be just. He will be ultimately just so that the wicked will be dealt with and you will not see that evil anymore. It is very much like grass. It may be beautiful, but in a couple of days, it may be um, burned down and will not be very attractive. The psalmist celebrates the victory of God. And what is the victory of God? Observe here in verse 12. The righteous will be like palm trees. They will be like cedars. They're planted in the house of the Lord. Let's stop right there. Where did we observe that the righteous are likened to trees? Psalm 1. The righteous is like a tree planted by the brooks of water, whose leaves will not wither, whose fruit will endure. This psalmist comes right back to it. Namely, the rule of God is very clear. Psalm 1 verse 6. God cares for, loves the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So ask yourself the question, whether you are on the way of perishing, that was Jesus' concern also, or on the way of eternal life. It's possible for us to sit right here and say, of course I'm going to have eternal life. But do we really see that God is ultimately just? Are we ready to meet his justice, his eyes, his judgment? 
Watch here as to how this psalm develops the same thought of Psalm 1 verse 6. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of a God. Stop right there. Why? It's God's purpose for you to walk on the path of the Lord. To end up in the palace of the Lord. So that you can enjoy his presence. Psalm 36 says, with God there are rivers of delight. Are we on the way of closer fellowship with God? Or do we have a sense of, of course I'm going to be saved. What we have in the Psalms is an encouragement to walk closer and closer with the Lord. Not just to come to church, but rather to walk with God in a close way where you can see things that are happening and you can understand these things that are happening. Where you may have an insight as to what God is doing. Observe God. In terms of that, many times we are already judging the situation. But the wise person observes the situation. The wise person is the one who wants to see what God is doing. And is patient. But all too often we are so impatient. We bring down the judgment very, very quickly. So what I'm looking for, what God is looking for, is a church where people are growing in wisdom. Not just that we are here, but rather that we are actually growing in wisdom. That we have greater insight. So that if we compare ourselves with, let's say, five years ago, we can see as to how we have grown in being more quiet, more pensive, reflective, that we have deeper answers and that we are able to direct people in the way of the Lord. So the psalmist then continues. These people, verse 14, they bear fruit in their old age. They will be filled with sap and green. What are they witnessing to? They say, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. God is good. He is upright. He works out his purposes, and we can be sure that his purposes will stand. But what is one of his purposes? Go back to Psalm 90, verse 1. Namely, that God has been the dwelling place of his people for many generations. The dwelling place. What do we have developed in Psalm 91? And we cannot really develop that completely here, but just to get a taste. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver. He will cover you. You will not fear, verse 5. That is here the assurance of being in the very presence of God and enjoying what it means to be his dwelling place. Let me make this point. When we are drawing near to God, we have less fear. So I encourage you, when the difficulties come, 
follow the way of Moses in Psalm 90, that in the midst of the difficulties, you are saying, I am going to dwell with God. Verse 1, again. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And then he continues, verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall come. We can be sure that God will be with his people. But there's not just the word of the psalmist. It's the word also of God. Look at verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love. Who's speaking? God. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. In other words, brothers and sisters, we have then on the one hand the call to praise. Psalm 89. Psalm 92. There is praise, a celebration of the Shabbat, of the peace of the Shabbat. And what we then have is that valley where we are feeling that we are alienated from God. But we can return if you make God your dwelling place. Listen to this. If you make God your dwelling place, you will experience heaven on earth because he is there to protect his own. Of course you can say, because I'm a Christian, but there is another thing. Do we really seek to make God our dwelling place? Is that one of our purposes? To that end, I would say, the Psalms are there, where we are being transformed gradually. Who is the teacher? Jesus Christ. Jesus lived in the Psalms. He lived out of the Psalms. He stepped into the Psalms. Again and again, he is citing the Psalms. He knows the Father, but he explains the Father through the Psalms, through these ancient writers. So as we then reflect on this Psalm, let me restate a couple of things. One, know where you are in the reading the Psalms. Eight, Psalm 89 is in book three. Now you step into book four, and there is a very similar experience, and yet a dissimilar. Psalm 89, a national catastrophe. Psalm 90, a personal catastrophe. God cares for his people. When you come to him and seek him, they will experience his presence in a marvelous way. So, this is what we talked about in the last couple of days. I encourage you, get to know Jesus Christ through the Psalms. He will lead you to see that God is all-sufficient. And the assurance we have is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus went into the depths of the valley, very much like what we have in Psalm 23, even when I walk in the valley of deep darkness, I will not fear. And if the church, if you, Redeemer Church, have this kind of a maturity, this wisdom, the church will be full. You will need five more services because 
people can see what difference your faith makes. And that's my prayer. I'm not here to accuse you. My prayer is that God's people will mature in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ has walked on earth and he has shown your deity, but also he has been a true human being, helping us in our humanity. I pray for your saints here at Redeemer Church. May they grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. May the church be glorified. May it be a place of peace. May every day be Shabbat, where we can say to one another, Shabbat Shalom. May you have a Sabbath of peace. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us in our difficulties, in our troubles. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.